Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to get out your Bibles uh, at this time. We are going to be in the book of Jude today. And you might wonder, where in the world is Jude? Uh, Jude is in the New Testament. Go to the book of Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, uh, and then go back one page. That's Jude. Um, and we're going to look at Jude 1, 1 through 25 today, which is the book in its entirety. We are going to read and study an entire book of the Bible this morning. You guys excited about that? Yeah, it's awesome. So um, I know you, hopefully most of you packed a lunch today. We're going to be here for a little bit. It may feel a little bit more like a Bible study uh, than a sermon. Um, there's your warning. Uh, and those of you who are uh, maybe laughing, um, you're, you're new to church here um, because uh, it's not uncommon for us to go just a little bit longer and, and we're okay with that. Um, as Jeff said, we are, uh, last week we began a new sermon series called Counterfeit. And the big idea behind this sermon series is that Jesus went to his disciples. He went to his followers and said, be careful. Watch out. Because there are counterfeits among you. And the interesting thing uh, about a counterfeit is uh, oftentimes they look like the real thing. They look like the real deal. They sound like the real deal. But oftentimes, it's just a little nuance. It's, it's the subtleties of a, a counterfeit that makes them uh, completely false. So last week, um, uh, I gave you a couple terms uh, that we're going to keep coming back to time and time again in the sermon series. And the terms are, are simply this, heresy and orthodoxy. Heresy is quite simply a false teaching in the life of a church, something that is a, a, a heresy, something that is not true, uh, and something that's orthodox means right teaching or true teaching. And so I'm going to use those terms a lot. So I just kind of wanted to get that out there uh, early on this morning as we're thinking about uh, this sermon and this uh, message. Today, uh, well, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the, the heresy, the false teaching of uh, what we called grace plus. Sometimes we know it as works salvation. And today we're going to move on to another, uh, what I think is a very popular uh, heresy, a false teaching in the life of the church. It's called antinomianism. Antinomianism. You're going to walk away feeling like Bible scholars here, right? Learning all these uh, uh, terms. Uh, we more often know it as cheap grace. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So if you've got your Bibles open to Jude 1, I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this new day that you've given to us. An opportunity to, uh, to celebrate and to praise you for what you have done in our lives and in this world. And so God, as we um, are mindful of all that's going on out there and in our hearts, in our minds, God, help us to be focused now, to be mindful of your holy word, the ways, God, in which you speak to us, you reveal your very essence in person to us. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our thoughts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about uh, 20, uh, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, 1972, a new movie came out. I was just a little toddler. I haven't actually seen this movie. Maybe some of you have. It's called Harold and Maude. 
And when this movie first came out, people were like, that's a little bit strange. The young man there is in his early 20s, and he develops a relationship with Maud, who is 79 years old. A romantic relationship. And when this movie came out, people are like, that's different. That's unusual. That's kind of strange. When it first came out, people didn't quite know what to do with it because it was so kind of earth-shattering, ground-breaking, and people are like, that's just kind of outside the boundaries of how I think and most of us think, right? But over time, Harold and Maud developed a cult-like following, and people began to view this movie as fun, as whimsical, as sweet, as, oh, isn't that nice? This couple are having a relationship. And if you've never seen the movie, maybe you've heard uh, one of the more popular songs. A guy by the name of Cat Stevens wrote a song for the soundtrack. And so I thought we could just listen, and uh, if you want to sing along, you certainly can, as we think about the words uh, to the song this morning. You know the song? Here we go. If you want to sing out, sing out And if you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be Either there are And if you want to live high, live high And if you want to live low, live low Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are Chorus you can do what you want The opportunity's on And if you find a new way You can do it today You can make it all true You can make it undo See? Ah Ah only need to know. We'll stop it there. We know this song, right? Here we are 50 years later. And it's worse. Man, you took the words right out of my mouth, Mary Jane. I was going to say, once upon a time, we thought, wow, that's fantasy. That's crazy. That is out there. We're living it. The world has changed in 50 years. And in many ways, I think this song by Cat Stevens really defines our generation and the moment in which we live. Now, just for fun, uh, I thought I would kind of go on the internet uh, and see uh, what some possibilities uh, might be. So the guy up there uh, is actually married a doll, happened in California, a doll, not a real human being. The man down there from Ireland uh, married a goat, legally. Uh, the man up there, uh, I think he's from China, he married a pillow. That's a pillow. Um, the guy down there kissing the dog, that's also California, no surprise, right? Um, and uh, the guy uh, at the bottom in the middle, uh, he's a guy that married a robot. And then the guy up above, true story, I think it's on the internet, so it must be true, right? There's quite a number of articles. He married a cockroach. 
and we think to ourselves, what in the world is going on? Now, I don't know how true all these stories are, but there is more and more truth to much of this, what's, what is going on. My son goes to college in Massachusetts, and if you follow the news at all, uh, last year there's a community not far from his college in Massachusetts that passed a city ordinance that allows polyamory. Polyamory is apparently the new thing. Polyamory, you're probably going, what's that? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. Polyamory is a, a legal marriage definition where a group of people marry one another. It's just like, okay, you guys are all going to get married together and kind of figure and work those things out. That's called polyamory. It's a real thing. There is a law that has just been passed by it. Another one that I found a little odd, I didn't quite know what to do with it, it's called sologamy. Sologamy is a legal marriage definition where a person marries themselves. True. I mean, how narcissistic do you have to be to think there's nobody out there for me, so I'm just going to marry me? You say your vows to yourself, and if you have an argument, you still have to go to bed with yourself, Right? It's getting kind of crazy, huh? And if you're following the news this past week, it doesn't end there. Because an adult person filed a petition, this time in New York State, to marry their adult child. We used to call this incest. <laughs> now we call it marriage. You know what began... You can do what you want. You be you, me be me. This is the world in which we find ourselves. What do we do with that? The definition of human relationships, the definition of marriage has changed in our culture, in our society, around the world. And I am sad to report to you that there are some churches, church teachings, church leaders that peddle this. We've said we don't need the law. We don't need God's definition of marriage anymore. We're going to do it ourselves. I can be me. You be you. Ahaha. 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 It's the day in which we live. And in many ways, I share this with you this morning, this is kind of the essence of the antinomian heresy in the life of the church. In the church. Let's get rid of that slide, Brady. Let's move on. Antinomianism, what is it? Antinomianism uh, is a Greek word. And you break it up uh, into two other words, anti, against, nomian, the law. And so it's against the law. And so the idea, the concept of antinomianism is let's just get rid of the law. The law is bad. We're, we are people of grace. And on the surface, you think, you, you think about this, less law, more grace. Sounds good, right? Sounds like a good plan. 
Less law, more grace. Sign me up for that. But remember what a counterfeit is. A counterfeit is something that is deceiving. It's a lie. It's meant to deceive. And this lie is rampant in some churches, in some teachings. So we might just think to ourselves, less law, more grace. Sounds good. But how did uh, other church leaders in time view antinomianism, getting rid of the law? This is what Martin Luther said uh, uh, as it relates to antinomianism. Antinomianism is a perversion of the gospel. George Fox, the guy who started the Quaker movement, said the practices of antinomianism are lewd. John Wesley, the guy who started the Methodist church, said antinomianism is the worst of all heresies. It is a gospel of the flesh. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, 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 the pastor who lived uh, in, during World War II, said antinomianism is nothing more than cheap grace. I was talking to Jeff earlier in the week, and I said, I just want to stand in front of the congregation this week and just read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, if, if you're looking for something to read, this is an amazing book. And I want to share just a small part of it. I'm so tempted to read great lengths to you. But this is what Bonhoeffer writes about cheap grace, this, uh, this idea of antinomianism. He says, this is what we mean by cheap grace. The grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of grace without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And then he kind of says, here's, here's the upshot. These are the consequences of cheap grace. Bonhoeffer writes, we Lutherans have gathered like eagles around the carcass of cheap grace. And there we have drunk the poison which has killed the life of following Christ. Cheap grace has killed us spiritually. Bonhoeffer didn't mince words. Praise God, neither did Jesus. This is what Jesus says about antinomianism. When people came to him and said, what do we do about the law, Jesus? Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. He says in Matthew 5, do, do not misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law and the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. No, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. I hope that's clear. Jesus said the law matters. I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to fulfill it. And it's not going to disappear until the world disappears. The law is here to stay. 
We can either pay attention to it or ignore it and go our own way. Well, let's shift um, now and and look at our Bible reading uh, from Jude. Who is Jude? Jude was the brother of James, another guy who wrote uh, an epistle in the New Testament by the name of James, right? Very clever uh, uh, titles of their books in the New Testament. Jude and James were brothers. They were also, both of them, the half-brother of Jesus of Nazareth. See, they had the same mom, Mary, different dads. Jude and James, their dad was Joseph. He was a carpenter. Jesus had a different father, the Holy Spirit. We know him as God the Father, our heavenly Father. So they grew up in the same household. Jude, James, Jesus, a couple sisters, And the thing you need to know about Jude and James and, frankly, Jesus' entire family, while Jesus was doing ministry for those three years of public ministry, his family thought he was off his rocker. They thought he was nuts. They were not followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. In fact, one day, there's a story in the Gospel of John where the brothers look at uh, Jesus and say, you know what, nobody does this stuff in secret, all these miracles, all these teachings. If you're the Messiah, go to Jerusalem. Go do something extraordinary somewhere else out in public. And then it says this, for even his brothers did not believe in him. But after Jesus died on a cross... After he rose from the grave, Jesus appeared to the disciples. He appeared to hundreds of people, and it says he appeared to his brothers. And in that moment, they believed. Jude and James spent the rest of their lives proclaiming that their brother, Jesus, was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. And they both wrote letters to the church to explain this is who he is, who he was. Now believe. Now, Jude wanted to write a devotional to the church. He wanted to encourage them. Jesus calling my daily bread or our daily bread. My utmost for his highest. Maybe you've read some of those devotionals. That's, that's what Jude's original purpose and intention was. He's like, I want to just write a devotion so you can understand the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, who he was, who he is, and I just want to encourage you. He said, yeah, then something else come up. Something got in the way. Heretics in the life of the church. False teachers said, so I put my devotional writing on the shelf. I'm going to write to you something else. Now, as you think about, uh, maybe we'll just say the, the Apostle John. We think about the Apostle John and his writings. I mean, we love John, right? Poetic. John writes about love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? I, I love the writings of John. That's not Jude. 
It's none of that. In fact, uh, I, I don't know what the genre of this book is, but I think it's more like this. He's shouting. Jude's pretty wound up. And if you've never read the book of Jude before, this is what it's about. It's a careful, watch out, danger ahead. That's the genre of the book of Jude. Let's lean in and read it together. Jude. A servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be to yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And so immediately out of the gate, Jude starts talking about the faith. Contend for the faith, which is another way of saying, make sure you are guarding the faith, the law, the teachings of Jesus Christ and all that they encompass. Jude, it's a call to battle spiritually. It's a call to take up our arms, contend for the faith, to use Old Testament language, gird up your loins. When I played football, our coach would look at us and said, boys, you got on your productive gear? Be like, yeah, coach. Gird up your loins, put on your protection, get Ready. That's what Jude is talking about here. Every Christian, every Jesus follower needs to be prepared to defend our faith. Because Jesus tells us there are false teachings lurking even among us. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. The New Living Translation says that uh, they, they've wormed in among you. I like the, the, the idea of they slithered in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now, usually when I think about my sin, uh, I'm not eager to stand up here in front of you and share about my sin. Usually when I think about sin, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed of the things that I do to sin. But that's different from those who are teaching in the church, who are leading in the church. He said they are, they're not ashamed of their sin. They brag about their sin. They stand in front of people and they're like, hey, look what I did. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's all about grace. Don't worry about the law. This is who Jude is addressing. People who have perverted the grace of God into a license for immorality. They, they wear it as a badge of honor. I sin. It's awesome. I don't need to confess my sin. I've heard that. Jesus has paid for me. It's all grace. 
I've heard that. Teachings in the church. And Jude says, you know, it's, it's not just how they're living morally, but by how they are living, they are actually denying that Jesus is Lord. So it's not just about behavior, but it's, by, it's, it's like dumbing our nose and saying, Jesus isn't Lord. I'm Lord. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to be what I be. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So what Jude's going to do now is he's going to give several examples of the consequences of antinomianism, of getting rid of the law. He starts by talking about the Israelites. Hey, remember what happened to the Israelites? God led them, rescued them out of Egypt. They got out into the wilderness. Once they got out there, they're like, yeah, God, we got this. Thanks for the Ten Commandments. Thanks for the law. We're good now. And the Israelites went their own way. And the consequence, uh, of course, was that the Israelites, the vast, vast majority, did not get to enter the promised land. There were consequences to living our own way for the Israelites. Next uh, example. Remember when the angels in heaven rebelled against God? Sorry. Um, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. For these he has kept out of, in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So what he's talking about now is the angels and the consequences of the angels rebelling against God. You know, that's where, where all the demons, they started out in heaven. That's where Lucifer, Satan, started out was in relationship with God. And Lucifer said, yeah, I don't need you, God. I'm good. I'm on my own. And because of Lucifer's pride, he was kicked out of heaven. And the consequence for Lucifer and all those angels is that they are sitting in the pit of hell. Consequences. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example to those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, I'm not going to retell the story of Sodom and Gomorrah here this morning. I think most of us know it or know it in a nutshell, right? And all the Israelites know it. And everybody who's reading this letter from Jude knows the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the story of about one of the most gross, disgusting examples of human sin even imaginable. That's why they kept telling the story. Do you know Sodom and Gomorrah, that story shows up over and over throughout the Old Testament? They keep going back to it. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Throughout the New Testament, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? It wasn't just a thing that happened. It was retold over and over and over as the quintessential example of sin and consequence. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Wiped off the face of the earth. Jude's kind of graphic here. He's a little wound up. Some of you are probably thinking, Brian's a little wound up this morning. You might even think to yourself, is Brian finished yet? What's going on? 
Jude continues in that very same way. On the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing uh, with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals will destroy them. I mean, Jude is trash-talking biblical language here. Over and over and over, he can't stop talking about these false teachers, these heretics. He continues, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. Cain was a murderer. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. Balaam not only practiced evil, but that wasn't good enough for him. He had to teach other people how to practice evil. He was an evil dude. What what was the consequence of Balaam? It wasn't good. He was killed for his evil practices. They have been destroyed by Korah's rebellion. Korah was a rebel against God, against Moses. And you're thinking to yourself, man, Jude, aren't you being a little bit harsh here? This is kind of rough. Jude is like, no, I got more. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, no guilt. Shepherds feed themselves. They are so narcissistic is what he's saying. They look disgusting and their behavior is disgusting. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. What he's saying is they are worthless. If you read Jesus' parables... There's one thing that you don't want to be, and it's worthless. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is usually how the parable ends. Jude's like, they're worthless, these teachers, these churches, these heretics. Enoch, uh, let's see, uh, the, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, saying, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Folks, these are some of the harshest words written in the New Testament. You know, oftentimes if I run into someone uh, that kind of bothers me a little bit, we'll say something like, I'm not even going to waste my breath on him. Not Jude. He's like, I will. Get me a pen. Somebody quick. I'm going to give you a lot of detail. What a horrible, disgusting, evil person they are. And the things that they teach, woe to them. They're responsible. And there are consequences. Folks, this is why I wanted to do this sermon series. I care about you. I love you. And I don't want you to fall prey to these false teachings out in the world and increasingly seeping into 
the church. But then the tone uh, changes dramatically. Dear friends, other translations, beloved. We're like, ah, it's better, Jude. Thank you. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Jude is telling us, we knew this was coming. There are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, again, there's this language of beloved. By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. What Judah's saying is what they do is they tear down the faith. So you need to be sure to build up the faith and hold it and care for it and steward it. Keep yourself in God's love uh, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. And I just want to say, keep yourselves in God's love. I want to be clear. That's not what you do. That's what Jeff talked about at the beginning of the service this morning. We just rest in his love. That's grace. He comes to us. We don't keep ourselves. We don't do it. We don't bring ourselves to God. He comes to us and invites us to just rest and dwell in his presence. And then he looks at, uh, he says, okay, I'm going to give you some instructions. Here's what I want you to do with these heretics. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To show others mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jude's saying, don't hate those people. Love them. Hate the sin. Be disgusted with the sin all day long. But love them. Show them Christ's love. Love them enough to tell the truth. I think I've been guilty of this in the past. It's hard to tell the truth. I mean, what I read to you this morning, I'm like, whoa, that's a little rough. Jude, come on. How are the good people of Faith Lutheran going to hear these words? I love you. So I'm going to tell you the truth in love. And that's how we need to treat all people. And then Jude closes with a benediction. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Whole book of the Bible. Good job. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? I'm going to give you two quick takeaways uh, this morning that you might consider for what we do with uh, the book of Jude, what we do with this heresy, this false teaching in the life of the church called antinomianism or cheap grace. That's easier to remember, right? The first one is this. Read and study the Bible. This is how we protect ourselves from heresy, from false teachings. You got to read the Bible yourselves. And you should be bringing your Bible to church on Sunday mornings. 
Because I'm just going to, Liam stood up here three weeks ago and said, bring your Bible. You can't trust the pastor. He was right. Don't take my word for it. Don't take any pastor's word for it. Fact check us. We need to be fact checked. We are sinful, broken people as well. Sometimes I speak, we speak, we pastors speak errors. We speak false Call us out on it. Say, hey, what you preached about last week, I read that in the Bible and this is what it says. Send me an email. Call me and say, help me understand that. I'm not perfect. I'm just a preacher. And I make mistakes. Read your Bibles. You've got to understand this for yourselves. You've got to understand the difference between law and grace. And I'm going to give you just a real quick remedial junior high confirmation class because I know many of you went to confirmation years ago. Martin Luther taught that there are two purposes of the law and neither of them was to get rid of it. Luther said the first reason why we have the law is to expose us so that we know the difference between what is sinful and what is non-sinful. When I think of the law, I think of an x-ray machine. It goes over my body and it exposes or shows a broken bone. Now what the law is incapable of doing is healing that bone. All the law can do is say, yep, your arm's broken. You need grace. Grace to experience healing. That's the first purpose of the law, to show us right from wrong. The second purpose of the law, according to Luther, is to restrain us, to hold us back from sinning, to not do those things. It's an example. Okay, you take your Ferrari uh, out on Highway 55 going up to Chicago this afternoon for a little Sunday afternoon stroll. If you were to head out on the highway and you see a a, a sign that says, speed limit, oh, never mind, have a nice day, you're not going to be very restrained, are you? I drive a Prius. I'm never tempted to sin out on the freeway. But if I had a Ferrari, I might just be tempted. This is what the law does. Speed limit, 70 miles an hour. And you're in your Ferrari going, yeah, okay, 80-ish. It holds you back, hopefully. That's the purpose of the law, is to restrain us, to hold us back, because we know what the clear boundaries are. Confirmation class, dismissed. The purpose of the law is to not get rid of it and to throw it out. And of course, the purpose of grace, once we see our sin, our brokenness, is to fall on our knees before Jesus Christ and say, rescue me, God. Jesus says, I can do that. Not through the law, but through my grace. You got to know and study that. Number two, connect with a faithful Orthodox church. Connect with the church. Now, I know we have some guests here this morning, and there's some of you tuning in online. But I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for you to be connected into a Bible-teaching Orthodox church. 
And I also want to go on record as saying the vast majority of churches in this community, even around the world, are faithful Orthodox churches. They preach God's word. Not perfectly, neither do I, neither does the Lutheran church. But the problem is, we treat all churches the same. Almost as if, when I was a kid, we would go to Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, right? Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to this church, and it's that flavor. I go to that church, it's that flavor. I go to that church, and it's that flavor. But here's what you need to know. It might look like a church. They might even have a sign out front that says, church. They might have a cross out front that says that you're looking and go, oh, it must be a church. Be careful. Just because it's got a sign and a cross does not mean that it is an orthodox Bible teaching church. You need to be very, very careful. Because Jude tells us, Jesus tells us, there are consequences for falling into these heresies. It leads to destruction and death. Kind of a litmus test. You want to know about the theology of your church that you may be connected to or you're considering connecting to? Just ask them about sin. Hey, what do you guys do with sin? How does sin work in the life of your church? What do you guys teach on sin? And and if if they say something like, oh, we don't really talk a lot about sin here. We're saved by grace. Oh, the grace of God is so good. We don't really talk about sin. Run. A church, a teacher, a pastor that does not talk about sin is a danger to you. That's what Jude's telling us. That's what Jesus told us. Sin matters. It separates you from God. And you got to deal with your sin daily. And then you bring it to Jesus and you ask for grace. So I'm going to challenge you. Some of you are connected to a church that's a little bit or a lot reluctant to talk about sin. They preach and teach a theology of I, me, you, you, we're good. Jesus has got it. You need to leave. You need to leave that church. I'm not saying you need to come to Faith Lutheran. If you want to come to Faith Lutheran, we got extra chairs, I think, right? It's awesome. There are really, really good churches in this community. Amazing churches in this community. I think we're a pretty good church myself. I don't care what church you go to. Just make sure it's a Bible-believing church that teaches and preaches sin and grace. And I know that's hard to hear. And I know some of you have friends who are connected to a church that is practicing heresy, false teaching. And like Jude says, you got to talk to them about it. And I know that's hard. It's hard for me. I've tried having those conversations. It's hard. I get it. But that, I think, is what Jude is calling us to today. 
Now, you might be thinking to yourselves, whoa, a little harsh this morning, right? But I want to remind you, I'm just the mailman. I just deliver the news. If you got a problem or issues with the message, take it up with Jude. Take it up with the Apostle Paul. Take it up with Jesus. This is what Jesus says in his last sermon as he was on the earth. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's not, don't, he doesn't say go and just do whatever you want. You be you, me be me. He says, I got stuff to say. Obey. And I just want to close by saying, praise God for the law. Praise God for God's word, God's message that he comes to us. Praise God for the church, the faithful Orthodox church, where we can help one another in these heresies, these false teachings. When we have questions, we can go to one another and say, what does this mean? I don't really get it. Because if we are not the church and we're not connected into a church body helping one another, we are likely to fall into a false teaching, into a heresy with terrible, horrible consequences. And the last thing I want to say is praise God for God's grace. Praise God that Jesus died on the cross to take your sin and my sin and that he rose from the grave and said, death is defeated. You don't have to stress out about all your sin. Deal with your sin, but you don't have to stress out about it. Just give it to me. So we're invited to do that as Jesus followers to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Um, and sometimes, God, your word is a little bit tough to hear, a little bit confusing, um, a little bit hard, or even a lot hard. But God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the church, 2,000 plus years of the, the faithfulness of the church, men and women who have gone before us, who've been so faithful to uphold the church, the teachings of the church. Men and women who have said, I don't care what the world is saying. I don't care what the heretics are saying. I don't care about the false teachings out in the world and in the church. We're going to be obedient and faithful to God's word. Thank you. God, I just pray for us as a community that we might be faithful like that. That we too, God, might stand on the shoulders of faithful men and women and have the hard conversations to hold on to your truth, to share it with others, with love, with grace, mercy, with compassion. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.